Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Seriously Good Podcast. I am your host, Casey Evans, and as always, I am joined by the man from Scotland himself, Danny Corcoran. How are you doing today, Danny? I'm very good. Um, the game we're talking about today wasn't very good, but no, I'm good. Yeah, so this is going to be part two of We Suffer Through Inter versus Milan uh, in the Champions League semi-final because it was horrible. Spoilers for anyone who hasn't watched the game, but it was a horrible game to watch, and that's probably what we're going to be talking about. We'll probably also talk about Inter's chances in the final as well, uh, and just do a kind of bit of a roundup of the Champions League in terms of that. But first, as always, we are going to talk about the current state of Syria and the current matches or the matches that were played last weekend. Napoli lost to Monza. <laughs> So they've definitely all been celebrating. So yeah, that was a bit of a bit of a big result for Monza, who are now up to ninth on joint with Fiorentina. So they've been picking up points the last couple of weeks. Obviously, the big the big results are all in the top four. Uh, Milan lost to Spezia, which is a big game at the top and the bottom. And Milan had to go and apologise in front of all of their ultras, which was a really really funny scene because it was just the, a group of fans just shouting in the faces of these Milan players. Did you get to catch any of that match? I did. Uh, I actually watched the second half and there was that unbelievable free kick by Esposito, who I think is on loan or definitely sold to Spezia with a buyback from Inter, which was just at, like, even Magnon tried to claw it, but it was right in the top corner. Um, apparently, them going up to the ultras after the game was pre-planned, whether they won or lost. But yeah, they had to go up and it all looked very embarrassing. And yeah, the the head Milan Ultra has got a shady past. Um, so yeah, very embarrassing. And especially with what happened after that, it was not a good week at all if you're a Milanisti. Yeah, uh, Juventus beat Cremonese, Inter beat Sassuolo. So they've kind of solidified their place in the top four. But as we were talking just off camera then, um, off camera, off mic, it's a podcast, you can't see us. Um, we were talking about the Juventus points deduction. We were think- It's been kind of rumoured that that's going to go out to nine points, which will take them just one point behind Milan. But if Milan can't sort things out, then Juventus could easily go back above them. But currently, they're second, but they could easily be fifth or sixth. Uh, Lazio have dropped down to fourth after drawing with Lecce, which was a really weird result for them. Not a good result for them at all, but they're still in with a shout and they've still got a little bit of a buffer now because of that Milan result. So yeah, it, it's, it's the starting to kind of look a lot clearer who's going to be in that top four at the end of the season. Um, did you get to watch any of the other matches? Did you watch Fiorentina? Did you watch the, the nil-nil draw between Bologna and Roma, which I watched a bit of, and it was horrible because Roma can't score to save their lives. And if any other match you got to watch... Yeah, I saw some of the Lazio game on, I think it was Friday night. Um, Lecce were winning that until the 96th minute and, and Lazio tri- clawed a goal back through Milinkovic-Savic. Which, yeah, Lazio has kind of all gone off the boil a bit in recent weeks. Um, I know we've said it quite a few times, but we were like sh- nailed on certain they would be the second team to, to get that automatic Champions League qualification spot and it's just... It's not really clicking. Lecce don't tend to score many goals and scored twice against you at home is not great. I think their three last games are Udinese, Cremonese and Empoli. So they're not the hardest games in the world. 
and I'd still expect them to kind of get into that Champions League spot, which would be a fantastic season for, for Sarri. But it kind of feels like a flatter end to the season than it should have. It should have kind of been like a procession that this Sarri's tactics, Sarri's philosophy all coming together as one. Now they're just kind of limping towards the summer. I guess also the other news Juventus-wise is Paul Pogba and his legs don't work anymore because he only lasted 24 minutes in his first start since, well, since Anfield last year for United in the Premier League. So I think it was over a full year or near enough a full year. And yeah, 24 minutes and now he's out for for a sustained period again. I just I don't know if his body can last at the top any longer, which is sad because he's looked good in his little cameos for Juventus. It's just his legs, as soon as... Because he's so powerful in the way he moves and he's very... He's obviously big and, and strong, but also quite... He he can move very fluidly. He's 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 not like your typical... He's not like your stereotypical big midfielder. He, he's got a lot of balance. He can turn quickly. He's very graceful and I think that his ankles and his thighs has just taken a toll he's played so much football when he was younger yeah he was very important uh, during the middle of the week for Juventus in their Europa League first leg against Sevilla because he was the one who got the assist for I'm going to try and remember his name Gatti that was it Gatti one of the several Juventus youngsters because in my head I kept thinking it was Moretti but then I was like that's not right uh, but yeah, he got that equaliser in the 97th minute, but Pogba was the one who assisted it with a header, I think it was. Um, but yeah, it definitely looks like Pogba's starting to take a toll. I don't know how long he's got left. If, if he keeps getting injured like this, he might it might just be a case of he either has to really drop down some levels or just retire, maybe. Because it, it, it isn't a fact of... He's not really even getting him in matches most of the time now. Like A lot of the injuries that came before this one were in training and just trying to get himself ready to play again. So it's just it's, it's sad end to his career because he is a great player and I, I obviously as a United fan I, I know what he can be at his best. It's a bit it's a big issue for Juventus as well because he's the highest paid player at the club as well, and it's not it's not like they have a lot of disposable income and they've got a lot of uncertainty, and he's earning far and away the most at the club. It's if he's not giving you any impact on the pitch, it's okay if it was this year. They I think. Obviously not knowing what they knew now, but that deal to get him on a free, bring him back to Turin, is one they should have taken, the one they did take. But So the year, this year, he can write it off, but it doesn't look like it's going to improve next year. And I, I don't know how old is he, 30? Or, or yeah, right he's now. nearly 30. He's, 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 he's in his late 20s at least. He's not a guy you can really rely on going forward. If the issues aren't there again next year, it's going to be a huge, huge waste of your budget. And you're relying on, well, Rabio's leaving in the summer. Paredes isn't going to be made permanent from from PSG. Your midfield becomes, you've got Locatelli, who I think is 24. And then it's a bun- it's Barranquilla, it's Moretti, it's Fagioli, it might be Ravella. Like, these are really, really young guys. There'll be no sort of leadership there on the pitch because you just can't rely on Pogba. So... It's a dis- I don't think they'll get rid of him, and I think they if you give him a full summer to work on his fitness and his health, maybe you'll get you'll get somewhere. But it's a big thing for Juventus that he isn't be able to impact on the pitch at all this year. Yeah, they've been linked a lot with Verratti, I think, recently because Verratti is obviously the next club. Verratti's going to end up somewhere, 
is what a lot of the reports are saying. And, and one of the clubs have been linked with Juventus, which would give him a, a couple of those things, but I don't know how nailed on that is. But yeah, it's going to be an interesting last couple of games. I think we've got three games left um, for some of them, and it should be interesting to see what happens. I think next week we have a big matchup. I think Inter are playing... Um, Napoli. Napoli, that was it. Yeah, Inter playing Napoli and... I should I, I should have got the screen up before I started speaking. Um, yeah, so we have some big games. We have Inter are playing Napoli uh, and some big games at the bottom. Lecce are playing Spezia. That'll probably be big for who goes down because then it's very close. It's, I think it's one point between uh, Lecce, Spezia and Verona at this point. And Verona have a hard matchup with Atalanta. Yeah, so I, I think we're going to have a, a lot to talk about in terms of the matchups next week. But we're going to get back as we've been trying to avoid to the second leg of the Inter versus Milan game. It was not a good quality game of football. I mean, we have spoke about the first one, where it was definitely clear that Inter were of a much higher quality than Milan, and they showed it on the pitch, and Milan didn't have a clue. But this game had no quality for the majority between both teams. Um, something that I thought was quite surprising was that um, I think it was Theor got the first yellow card in the 55th minute when everyone was just kind of just kicking each other constantly because the balls were just all loose. Yes, you can quote that. The balls were all loose. Um, <laughs> but in general, did you did you agree that it just wasn't that good a game? <laughs> I think we know what you're gonna say. I feel like I feel like if you just cut and paste a lot of what what we said last week and just it out again it would be exactly the same I looked at that Milan team and I thought Liao will have to do something incredible for this to even become a, a, a tie the Krunic was still in the middle okay I know they've got injuries Messias started the thing that it was an interesting tie for about 20 minutes um, and Brahim Diaz missed that incredibly good chance Tenali won the ball back beat I can't remember who he beat down the line but beat someone down the line and cut it back and there was a cluster of about four or five Milan players ready to put this ball in the, the net and Diaz kind of just passed it and Onana caught the ball like he didn't even have to push it out for a corner he just caught the ball and it, that was I, I can't remember how far that was in but it seemed like it could be a tie for about 20-25 minutes and then it was almost as if Inter weathered the storm and Milan were like, well that's it, we're not gonna we're not gonna get through this. I think the thing that struck me most about the game is how poorly it was managed in game by Pioli. I don't think there was a sub from Milan until the sixty fourth, sixty fifth minute and that was forced because uh, Chaw went off injured. Like Messias was horrible, which we anyone could have told you he was gonna be. And you had Rebic who has Played in big games for Croatia. He's not really been that great for Milan, but well, he has, but not this year. Um, on the bench, you had Salamakers, who okay isn't great, but he's better option than Messias. And you've got Origi, who again hasn't been great for Milan, but has experience in these big games. Could do something chaotic, and you also have uh, De Ketelari, who again hasn't been great for Milan, but surely trying something. Anyone there? A is a better option than doing nothing when it's not working. Milan had five shots the whole game, but purely didn't do anything. Yeah, I, I I was surprised to find out that Junior Messias is 32 years old last night. I just kind of had it in my head that it was just like mid-20s. 
and he was just they were just kind of like, oh, he might come good. We're just going to see if he eventually comes good. It's like no, he he's gone past the point of we think he might come good, and he's just bad, and he's bad in the Champions League. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely think that they could have made some changes for him. I don't think he was very good. Obviously, that Brahim Diaz chance, he was just horrible, and it was it was so. He was in such an important position for Milan because obviously they didn't get the ball to Liao a lot, but it did look like they'd set up to completely close Liao out the game. I don't think Lucas Hernandez did enough coming up the uh, Lucas Hernandez, Theo Hernandez. I'm thinking of his brother. Um, I don't think Theo Hernandez did enough pushing up the field enough uh, to help him at all. I just feel like it just looked like a completely broken team, and I get that there's injuries, but like you can't go into a Champions League semi final and just sit down and take it basically, because that was kind of what Milan did. I think Leal had a couple of good chances. He, as I said, he didn't look fit. He didn't really get on the ball. Uh, I think they looked, to give him a little bit of credit, I think they looked a lot more stable at the back, uh, especially in the first half. I think second half, they kind of fell apart again. But in the first half, they looked a lot more stable. Like They weren't letting up, like letting in too many really easy chances. And yeah, there's not really many positives to draw from that performance, I don't think. Um, yeah, I think I think their initial setup was smart. They looked to just stop the space. They dominated the ball sort of just inside Inter's half. Okay, they didn't create many chances by that Diaz one we've mentioned. I think there was a cross early on that Onana flapped at and Giroud managed to head back across goal, but no one followed it in, which was... That, that was a kind of a theme of Milan's play throughout the night was those sort of lofted balls to the back post a lot of them were by Junior Messias and they were they went straight out of play for the most part but that seemed to be something that they focused on doing I think it's quite a purely tactic I know a Fiorentina fan and when he was manager there I think a big complaint was aimless crosses into the box and that the David, the David Moyes school of management when yeah. you don't know what you're doing you just absolutely spam the ball into the box like a madman yeah, so that I think uh, the initial setup was good, but after it didn't work after twenty twenty five minutes, they didn't really have an idea. I was Liao clearly wasn't fit because they Inter did well because they did double team him every time, but then it, it's down to your other players. I was really disappointed in uh, Theo Hernandez last night because usually he's such a threat if. Liao's double team that opens up the space for like sometimes he looks like the best attacking fullback in the world but he didn't he didn't do anything last night he didn't he didn't want to get his foot on the ball he didn't drive centrally like like they've done a lot he didn't he just he didn't take that game he looked like the occasion got to him and and that was disappointing they yeah like we said they only got the ball to Liao a few times Liao did stand up Damian twice and that look probably was Milan's best moment when he took it past him and then he just dragged the shot a bit too wide. I thought that was going to go in and that was still in the first half so that would have created a contest but yeah to to have five shots in an entire second leg where you're 2-0 down to your biggest rivals who you share a stadium with like it was so so flat for Milan and I, I just it was very disappointing. I thought Inter weren't great last night, but they didn't even really have to be, to be honest with you. Yeah, I, I don't think Inter had quite a few chances that we'll get into. I think, again, like one guy who can always come out of this, these games with his head held high is Manion. He was 
excellent. Like they had quite a lot of good chances into, um, and 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 there were chances that they were well worked, and they found a lot of space where they weren't expected to, and he just came up big most of the time. Obviously, the goal I probably should have done better on. I would have thought it was an awkward shot, um, but it was his near post, so you would expect him to do better. But I think for the most part, he was do he did play excellently that out throughout the game and made a number of good saves. I think when you're the you're on the like as a United fan, I know that when you're on the one a worse team who can't like um, keep possession that well, the goalkeeper always has to make good chances. And if you're a good goalkeeper, then you look a lot better. And but yeah, I, I I'm not going to dispute that Manuel was good, well, it wasn't good that game. He cut quite a frustrated figure a lot last night. I watched some of it back and like. He would get the ball, and, and Magnon's very proactive. He'll look to get the ball out quick. He'll look to release like long balls over the top of, of the chances there. But he kind of just he had the ball. He went to sprint to the edge of the box, and he had to just kind of be like go back a wee bit. And and there was no one there, and he'd ended up he'd end up throwing it out to Calabria, who would pass it to Messias, who would pass inside, and they would lose it again. Like he he was incredible last night. There was one save. I think they gave offside, so I don't know if it would have counted, but there was one save just after Diaz missed that chance where I don't... Dzeko was offside, I think, yeah. Yeah, sometimes a goalkeeper saves it with one hand and I look at it and I say, I think, if I tried to do that, that would break my hand, but it's just so solid. So it was one that... But yeah, he, he couldn't even affect the attacking play because Milan were just so static and no one moved and no one... No one did anything. It was so disappointing. Yeah, it, it, it was just an incredibly scrappy game for Milan, and they, they, they just like I, I I didn't delete the note that I had from last week of how did Krunic not get sent off because he did a really bad challenge that got him yellow in the second half. But I was like, he should have been on a yellow already, so I didn't delete that one. <laughs> but yeah, it was just such a scrappy match. And if we look at Inter's side, I don't think they were great last night, but they were obviously the better team. I thought one player who looked really good was Lotaro. He was he was the captain last night, and he um, he he really he really took the game on his back. He really sh- showed like good leadership through how he was playing. I think he created a lot. Of, he obviously scored the goal, but he created a lot of good chances. He had a good a lot of good shots that Manion obviously stopped. I think he had a really good game, and it showed kind of the best of him. I think I was thinking this last night. I think the. The Champions League semi-finals have done to Lataro's reputation to like the general football watcher. They've kind of restored it from what the general football watcher got of him at the World Cup, where he was just wasn't very good, constantly offside, wasn't really helping him build up. Uh, this inter team build up kind of doesn't go through him, but he's a huge, huge part of it. He was dropping deep and spinning people and winning fouls. He was very, very, very good last night, and I think. How he plays in the final is probably key to how good Inter's chances are. If you get bad Lataro, you're going to lose the game. If you get very good Lataro, who can kind of dominate um, attackers, he he will have a huge impact. And, and if he's on a finishing streak, and yeah, last night I think, I think Magnon should probably save that, but it is very close, and it is smack. Um, I... Um, I was interested. There wasn't really. We didn't see an offside check because I thought he was offside, but obviously he wasn't. The coverage that uh, the coverage on VT did show that he was quite. He was way onside. The actual like, 
I don't want Manion didn't deserve to concede it, but Milan definitely deserved to concede that chance. There was a it was um I can't remember who was with Lukaku, but there were two players stood into place over the ball, one one of them being Lukaku. And Milan just decided not to either challenge for the ball nor mark Lotaro. They just kinda went and stood and looked at them while they both tried to like decide which of them was going to kick it. And then Lukaku just kicked it straight to Martinez, who was just in miles of space at the edge of like just just at the edge of the goal and then obviously he scores the chance but it was horrible defending it was absolutely like disgraceful like the fact that no one challenged for it or just did anything there was ridiculous I think by that if that was about the 73rd 74th minute I think by that time Milan's heads were completely gone they looked they looked they looked absolutely done in. They didn't have any belief that they could do anything. And then Lukaku came on fresh and is in such good form and just ragdolled their defence constantly. He, he like the best of Lukaku is when he can he's able to run into space. He, he him and Lataro combining with each other is a big part. He did so well for that that goal, Lukaku. The way he just every single Milan defender, like you said, just gravitated towards him. And they couldn't stop him. He just bulldozed his way through them and managed... I think there was a wee bit of a lucky break, but then he managed to squeeze it to Lotaro, who just obviously popped it in. But yeah, I think I think what was good for Inter as well is the players they could bring off the bench to... Like, they made, they were constantly making substitutions into him, like, keeping it fresh. Everything that Milan weren't doing. So, like, Gosens came on for DeMarco, Lukaku came on for Dzeko... The big Mkhitaryan not in the off injured, but Brozovic was excellent in that second half. Everything you want a defensive midfielder six, someone that's going to set the tempo to be, especially in a game like that. I know we talked about it last week, but the way he can just evade all pressure and find the right pass at the right time, just it killed Milan's spirits, or what was left of them completely. Like he was, he was a big part of last night. I think. Yeah, um, the injury kind of... We, we spoke last week about how Brozovic's role, if he came on a bit later, kind of uh, helped with his legs and stuff. But obviously, he was forced on due to an injury to Mkhitaryan. Um, very, I think it was just before half-time. Uh, but he, he, he was excellent. Like he, He's always excellent. He's very metronomic is the uh, is the word. He just he just kind of... He, he instantly just steps in and just adapts the beat of the game and probably even adapts the beat of the game to his own style of play, which is probably how he manages to do it so well. But that kind of leads into one of our questions. So we're going to talk about the final now because Inter are going to be playing... The, we're obviously recording this on the Wednesday. Uh, Real Madrid City has not been played yet, so we do not know who Inter will be facing. Both teams, though, have the potential to absolutely blow Inter Milan out of the water. I think is is the thing. Like Inter Milan can probably put up a very good front, and and the thing is, is they've shown even when they're against better teams or better informed teams that they can kind of sit back and absorb pressure and then get an opportunity and put it away and then win one nil. But this is kind of looking like the neck is a level up on those sorts of teams. I think for them, yeah. Um, I mean, like even thinking about it, the Inter of last year and the Milan of last year are better than these two teams that play in the Champions League semi-final. Like, so much of the Champions League guys luck. Like, I know it's well-documented, but, like, the run that these two have been on, it does feel like the final is a step too far, no matter whether it's City, who just have this 
machine like winning ability or Real Madrid who win out of nowhere or dominate they can do both <sighs> the, what Inter do have a lot of individual quality though and, and in a one off game Lataro could cause problems to Ruben Diaz and Militao and whoever a lot they have Lukaku if he starts I know that's one of the questions that's probably coming is whether it'll be him or Jekyll but both have the ability to cause problems they Inter's midfield is very 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 good and I think that's big for for a final being able to do, dominate that midfield space like for example last year's final Madrid's midfield dominated Liverpool's and I think that's probably what won them the game it is interesting like this year this year I think a common theme for the Champions League over the last few years is that the semi-finals have kind of been exciting and the finals not this year the semi-final well this one definitely wasn't exciting and you just hope that Inter can make a good game of whoever they play because otherwise we could there is I don't I don't want to sound unfair on Inter because they've got there and, and they do have good players but it could be just a kind of procession if if one of those teams get an early goal I don't really see them causing it too many issues yeah uh, I was saying this was kind of leading in and you kind of hinted to it like a lot of the questions that we had was about or two of the questions were definitely about the CL final um, first one is depending on who they get in the final would you stick with Inter's midfield trio of Barella Mkhitaryan and Kalinoglu or would you put in Brazovic from the start we've kind of discussed this a bit. I th- I probably stick with what they have at the moment. I d- Brazovic obviously is the final, and I think you've obviously he is their best midfielder, bar probably Barella. Like it's him and Barella at full fitness. It's both of them on the same. Probably if they're a bit less off, it's Barella than Brazovic. But I, d- I don't know. I-, I feel like that if they're go they're- the midfield is probably going to get dominated in the entirety of the game quite considerably by either team, either physically by Real Madrid's team because Fede Valverde will just run them ragged and uh, Modric will just kind of pass it around them and press them to hell or they'll get run ragged by the technical quality of City's midfield. So I feel like if they're going to go for, we're going to sit back and hoof it keeping on Barella, Mickey and um, Kalinoglu who can kind of run onto the chances and kind of hitting that transition might be a bit better than Brazovic early on, though it depends Like and then bring it on Brazovic if you get ahead to kind of like calm it down might be a way to do it. But then, like I said, like Brozovic is one of the best players. Like I think if you're in a final, you wouldn't be amiss to saying, yeah, he should probably play or definitely play. It would be, obviously the Mkhitaryan went off injured. So I think we need to wait and see if he'll be fit or not. It depends how they want to play it because I think you have the benefit of playing uh, Channel Glue. Mkhitaryan, Barella, against a team like Milan where you're evenly matched up or to the point where you're just going to dominate that midfield battle. Like Mkhitaryan's goal in the first leg is a good example of that. He's the one that would come out for Brozovic. Brozovic would not be there to score that goal. If you're playing against the City or Real Madrid, do does Inzaghi then say, well, we do need to sit back a little bit? And Brozovic, like he does when he comes on, offers us the chance to sort of try and dictate our own tempo because we know City will... Real Madrid might not do this, but City definitely will try and control the game completely. So does Brozovic then offer Inter a chance to 
kind of wrestle back some of their control. If it's if it's Real Madrid, I'd be interested to see. I'm kind of going off topic now. I'd be interested to see if, obviously, Valverde tends to play on the right for Real Madrid, and Barella tends to play on the right for Inter. I would wonder if Inzaghi would switch the side Barella goes on because they're just such, they're very similar in their energies. And if those two can, if you can nullify Valverde kind of energy and power and chaos with Barella's, does he then switch that? And then that's that's another thing there because Chalonoglu is not the best at tracking back. He's obviously is was an attacking midfielder that's now dropped to like this sort of deep line playmaker. Do you switch because you're worried about what Valverde can cause and Chalinoglu can sit on the Cruz or the Modric? So I, I, I think the midfield's the biggest part for Inter. It's where they can they can win a game. I think against these teams. I mean, there's obviously there are the, the big brain take of do you just bring in Roberto Gabagliardini and just tell him to just stick on a man like that? That that would be that's the that's one of those things that you always see in those cup final things of just being like, here's a guy. His technical quality is kicking people. Um, <laughs> just go and stand next to the best player in their midfield and just make sure he doesn't do anything. And I think that that's, prob- that's probably Gagliardini's role to play, whether that would be something you did from the start or something you did when you're trying to keep a lead is something to consider. But I, I, it, I, I'd be more... I know it sounds stupid on, on paper, but I'd be more... Uh, or less surprised to see Gagliardini against City than I would against Real Madrid because I feel like Gagliardini against Fede would absolutely run him ragged but if you said go against Kevin De Bruyne or I'll go against uh, like a Gundogan or something and just try and just stick on him like just make sure because they're very tight control sort of players and not going to absolutely burst past you I think that, that that's a kind of big brain cup final just get get someone who just knows how to just ruin someone or someone else's game rather than actually play your own I don't know if you agree on that one. Yeah, I don't know if I agree, but I, I think the point I make is that, like, any way they play it, there's a huge risk because there's just better players in Real Madrid's team and there's better players in Man City's team. So you can either try and play your own game and get killed that way, or you can play well and, and maybe it works, or you can switch it up and, like, do you switch it up and do say you put Gaudini on and it works, you look like you look like an absolute genius and Zaghi goes out like looks like this incredible manager. If it doesn't work, everyone's saying, Well that's stupid, why didn't you just play your better players? You know what? So I don't think there's a good I don't think there's a, it's like it's like win win, lose lose. Like I don't know. I just I just don't see them having that big a chance. And I think I th- I don't think he'll do that. I think he'll stick with Dep- injury dependent I think he'll stick with Chalonoglu, Mkhitaryan and Barella because it is working really well and even though those profiles kind of make it seem like they're all quite attacking or they're all quite they they all like to get forward like there's not one of them that doesn't like to get forward they they ha- have been very disciplined and, and I don't think you can upset upset that balance I think they're pinned well by a, a, a Cherby behind them. I think he does very well at reading the sort of lines uh, on the pitch and where they and where the ball is kind of being played through him. He does very well at like cleaning it up. I think that kind of helps that system as well. Um, then one of the other questions we had that was a question from uh, Alex Donaldson, friend of the podcast. We have another question from Michael Tui. He says, 
which front two would you start for the final, which is something we also talked about. Stick with Martinez Jeko or bring in Lukaku for one of them. I'll let you go first on that one. Completely ignoring any tactical viewpoint. Start Jekyll against City and Lukaku against Real Madrid because Jekyll scoring against Man City is something that would happen in a Champions League final. Like him scoring a winner against City. I can just see that in my head happening and him denying Guardiola the chance just because he was a big player for City who kind of didn't get the respect he deserved. But in all seriousness, I think... I I just... I don't know. I think I'd probably stick with Jekyll if I'm being honest. Um... He's looked really good in the Champions League. And Lukaku has done well at this sort of... Say the game's 0-0 against either team. If you can bring Lukaku on 60 minutes in, and it's conceivable that the game will be 0-0, like finals tend to be quite boring, especially Champions League ones. If you can bring Lukaku on to run at a tired defence, he's a very, very... He's still a very, very good player. He's had He's been in and out of form, but... I would I could bank on him causing chaos and creating a few chances, so I think I'd stick with Jekyll and then bring Lukaku on. Yeah, I I think I agree with that. I think Jekyll kind of also suits their style of football a bit better because obviously like Lukaku is a bit more. We're going for both both blog players being battering rams who can go through the defense, whereas Jekyll kind of is a little bit better at the link up stuff that Lukaku has been lacking, especially in the last like few years of his career. And obviously, kind of like you said, both have narratives to them. Like Jeco, kind of wants to score to get back at Guardiola, show why City why they shouldn't have got rid of him and all that sort of stuff. Lukaku is doing everything in his power not to be dragged kicking and screaming back to London. He really wants to stay in Milan. Like he really, really wants to stay. Like I think that interview he did with Thierry Henry was a really nice interview. That he was kind of kind of open and he was very clear about like, oh, I, I, this is what I want and this is kind of where I am. <laughs> Well, I think Marotta said recently that it's been upgraded to a 6 out of 10, that they want to bring him back. So he has sort of played his way into the minds of of being brought back. I think also the Jekyll versus Lukaku thing, I think a lot of Inter's chances, especially maybe early in, in the final, might come from set pieces. And I think Jekyll's a bit better aerially than Lukaku is, or definitely from set pieces anyway. So I think that might give him the nod. Yeah, we're saying all this, it's, it's Denzel Dumfries is the one who's scoring. After we've clowned him consistently on this podcast, he's the one who's scoring, just crashing into the box, as always. Scoring and then United will spend 60 million. <laughs> right, we don't need the second half of that, please. We want Tottenham to spend that money, even though we've got Pedro Porro or Chelsea. Actually, no, Chelsea don't need to because they're on But actually, no, Chelsea can do it because... They just have more money than sense. Um, and we have one uh, final question from Aditya. Uh, he says, how many players of the probable CL Final eleven do you think will still be into next season considering the amount of people off contract? We kind of discussed this in passing before uh, and my answer kind of remains the same of I have absolutely not a Scooby because into do- it, the, the Champions League final will help them a lot because the, the prize money from getting there is substantial prize money from winning is even more if they actually manage to go all the way but it's all depends on the manager that they bring in if they stick with uh inzaghi then they might make they might not make that many significant changes but if they get a new guy he might want to like if they get a motta motta will want to change the team 
quite considerably because he doesn't play with wing backs to begin with. Or he doesn't. He, he his his ideal football is obviously four three three. Or he might change it depending on the system because he has done that at, um, at other clubs. But if he if he's like I'm coming in, I want to do my idealized system. He'll probably want to change a lot of the players there. They need to replace Brozovic. They need to place a lot of that midfield. Obviously, they don't know if they'll have the money to do that, so they might sell guys. It's such a weird one. Like I, I can probably say that I don't really know. I definitely think they're keeping Lotaro. Like Morata was very clear about that, that that he's their player, and anyone who wants him, they're gonna have to pay an extortionate amount of money for him even to take the call. But yeah, I'm not really really sure on that one. I think like getting to this final has helped, and they're now third in league in the second. If you kind of take away Juventus's points, that they will. Um, has helped them so so much. They won't have to sell a a Barella. They won't have to sell a Lataro to kind of balance the books as much. They'll be able to renew quite a few players. I'm looking at their out of contracts now, and it is it's a bit grim. Handanovic will go. Jekyll, D'Ambrosio, Lukaku's going back. Devry, a Cherby's loan, but will get kind of brought back. Galliardini, Skriniar's gone to PSG, Gosens is out of contract, like, and then, like, the, the after that, you've got a bunch of guys out of contract the next year, so they're, they are in a really desperate sort of squad-building situation. In terms of the in terms of the guys you've just named, if I was actually into it, I'd probably get rid of the majority. I, 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 I bring back a Kirby, a Kirby, and I might bring back Lukaku. But I'd get I'd let majority go and just take the wages and the money you get from the Champions League and just go and buy some cheaper guys who are, could replace him. Like you, like you, like you said, we don't really know who the manager is. But I don't. I think the worst thing that Inter could do in reaching this Champions League final is thinking that that makes everything okay and doing like a classic sports team thing of keeping all these older guys because they've got you there for another year. They need to be sort of ruthless. Jekyll for 80% of this season has not. He's, he's 37, 36. His legs are done. He's not been very good. He's, he's come through clutch in the, the past few weeks, but you need to get rid of him. You don't need to keep these guys because of this season. I think you need to be ruthless. You need to build a younger squad. You need to... This, is, this sort of has to be the end of a cycle for Inter rather than the start or the midway through one, I think that's important for them. And also, if, say, Dzeko gets the winning goal or and just Inter win the, the Champions League, he's going to demand a pretty healthy contract. He's going to turn around and say, well, I, I won you the Champions League. He's not going to put the output that that contract's going to like offer him. He's not, it's not going to match up. He'll, he'll go, he won't be very good next season, more than likely. So... I th- yeah, I think I think a lot a lot of squad um, upheaval happened this summer for Inter, um, and I don't think many of the guys. If, if if we go through the the team that started against Milan, Onana will be there next year. Unless someone comes in with stupid money like that's that, I think Onana is one of the, the goalkeepers that's been linked away. But yeah, I think he's there we, unless they get like literally a, a king's ransom for him. And yeah, so and I think Chelsea have been linked, but of course they have. Um, Darmian will be there. Acherbi, fifty-fifty. He, he's the sort of centre back that 
age doesn't really matter, especially in Italy. Like he'll still have impact. So yeah, probably bring him back. Bastoni, you can keep him now. You don't have to sell him because you've made a lot of money. I think they should probably sell Denzel Dumfries and get out from that. Like, I know we've been harsh on him, but his stock is never going to be higher than it is right now. And yeah. teams are going to be interested in him and probably make the mistake of spending 50-odd million on this guy that can kind of only really do one thing. Uh, Barella, pro- I mean, do everything in your power to keep him. I think he'll stay. Chalinoglu will probably stay. Mkhitaryan doesn't need to be there. You can upgrade on that or, or get someone younger. DeMarco should definitely stay. Martinez should definitely stay. Dzeko should go. So you're keeping like a, a core, but you're, you are you can upgrade or certainly refresh in at least four or five positions there. Yeah. I, I mean, obviously looking at the bench, like there's some guys like Gosens hasn't really worked out. He probably will get picked up by a club in Germany for like next to no, like obviously for free and would be happy and better than he has been at Inter. There are some nice like young guys, obviously we haven't seen as much as Aslani yet. He can kind of step in and hopefully he'll be able to step in. I think obviously like the guys we named, there's, there's some like stalwarts that have been there for years and they just kind of need to move on. Even though they might have some value if you renewed them, like there's no point renewing them because I don't think anyone really paid that much for them. Like Handanovic is old now. I don't think he has any value, but the bridge and the uh, Ambrosio and I just think just get rid and just kind of refresh and get some either use your academy because you have some really good players in your academy or just kind of go and buy from lower down the Serie A or even Serie B because there's some good young players in Serie B as well and just kind of like bring them up and just kind of like put a new cycle you can even sell like a few squad players for semi-decent money I think someone will spend at least over 10 million euros on Korea, who's not really had that big an impact at the club, really, since I, th- I think he's in contract to 2025, so you can probably... I was going to look how much they've actually spent on Korea, because I, 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 I think it's too much money. Uh, yeah, it was a 6 million loan fee, followed by a 27 million uh, actual transfer fee, euros. And he has definitely not paid that back. <laughs> so, yeah, I think you cut your losses there. You can bring in someone. And I don't know who off the top of my head. But, yeah, you can upgrade a lot of inter-squad. And I think if they're smart about it, Marotta tends to like free agents. So that might be a market they kind of dip into. There's some really good free agents uh, this season. I think, obviously, I'll just double-check. I think Evan and Dicker is in the free agent pool. He, he's very good. He's a very good centre-back. He'd be good depth for, like, Bastoni. Um, I obviously, think he's off to Roma, though. Is he off to Roma? I wasn't sure if that had been confirmed. I don't think um, it's confirmed, but I think it's near enough done. Which is a very good signing for Roma. Yeah, because I think uh, Roma have actually got a little ahead of everyone else with... Um, this sort of free agent market but there are still some good guys in there I'm just looking now that obviously striker wise Marcus Thuram uh, would be a great strike up front for them like obviously he could easily replace Correa he is someone that's been heavily linked with Inter in the past as well and obviously his dad played in Italy I'm pretty sure the Turams might have I'm pretty sure Marcus Thuram might have been born in Italy or around that time so 
Well, yeah, his dad was at um, Palmer and then Juventus, so he probably was. I mean, you've got to look at the other guys, like someone like Gundogan, if you if he's there and he's not going to anyone, then I think that's a guy, even though he's older, he definitely shows a sort of quality. Um, Jonathan Bamber, if you're going for wingers, is about... Uh, I'm just looking at through the list now. Yuri Tilsman's. My theory is that he would be a very, very good Serie A midfielder, Tielsman's. He needs somewhere where the game is much slower in midfield. There's a lot of space. There tends to be a lot of space in, in like sort of between the lines and stuff in Italy, and it seems like he would thrive there. I think he would be a very good pickup for someone in the Italian league. Moose Dembele is out of contract. He's another guy who could play up front for him. Hassan Loire. I don't know if he's gone to... I know Roma were linked with him. I'm not sure if there's been anything there. Elias Shakiri from Cologne. He's good. Samuel Laconga is out of contract. <laughs> so he might be a good little young pickup for them to do with. Uh, yeah, I'm just kind of looking for him all. Jesse Lingard. Bring him to the San Siro. Yeah, I, like I said, there's a lot There's a lot of players that you can kind of do something with. Dice Bios is a guy that I think will end up at somewhere a bit more high profile because he is still a good cycle. He is, he's a good midfielder. And I think if, you, if you're looking for someone who could be like Brazovic light, then Dice Abayos might give you that sort of like comfort on the ball. Nabiketa. Uh, I knew you were going to say Nabiketa. I'll skip to cross him for a good reason. He will, and uh, guarantee, he's either going to the Bundesliga or Serie A. It's, he is very good. He's just made of paper mache. Oh, yeah, so there's definitely guys that you can pick up on the free transfer market. And, and like I said, there's a lot of young guys you can pick up for much cheaper and just build. Because obviously, if you're starting a new project under a new manager who's trying to get his football um, down and kind of his tactics in place, then you can afford to develop a player under that. So I, I think Inter's... If Inter win this Champions League final, it should be the start of a new cycle. And it's probably a very good starting point or a much better starting point than we're looking at like maybe three or four weeks ago for where they were going to be. Um, I'm burping, which is not very good for a podcast, but we'll, we'll, we'll keep it in. I don't mind. Um, but I think that is kind of it. Like, as we said, a lot of what we said last week can kind of be copy and pasted into are going to struggle no matter who they come up against, but they do have some individual quality. Um, is there anything else that you want to add at the end there, Danny, for that? No, I think it is... It's good that we've got an Italian team in the final, especially because we started this podcast this year. But I don't think it's... I know Stephen talked about it when we had the Juventus podcast. I don't think it's really a true reflection of the league is at. Like it's, I think it's more luck than anything, but the league is... I think it will get a lot better next year. I think there'll be quite a few teams challenging, and I think, yeah... Don't let that game put you off watching Italian football last night because it tends to be a lot more fun than that. Yeah, it's either, it's either a lot more fun because the quality is there, it's a lot more fun because it's an even more of a shambles, but in a way that actually provides goals. Um, but yeah, I, I, and, and we're not saying that completely biasly because we're an Italian football podcast at all. But I think we'll end it there. Um, this has been the Seriously Good Podcast. I have been Casey. Uh, that has been Danny. And we'll see you next time with probably another team-specific um, podcast. We may have a guest. We do not know yet. We'll let you know on Twitter about that. And we'll also ask for questions, as always. So, again, see you next time. Have a lovely week, and ciao.